Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Hot D, the officially unofficial podcast for House of the Dragon on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. We're back for another podcast considering season one, episode four, King of the Narrow Sea. Uh, This time, the feedback version where we hear what everybody out there listening to our show has to say. Uh, Aaron, did anybody care to chime in this week? They did, uh, including our merch manager, Tulip Blossom, uh, from the Bald Move community. She runs mm. uh, a graphics T-shirt uh, type of store and uh, wanted to know if we wanted some help earlier this year on our merch because we have essentially abandoned it ever since Essentially uh, left the company. Uh, it's just kind of in uh, Flying Dutchman ghost mode. Uh, she has uh, got a lot of really cool Hot D merchandise. If you want to check that out, go to merch.baldmove.com. Uh, head down to the Game of Thrones section. Uh, probably need to update the name of that, but uh, she has uh, got our our snazzy cover art on mugs, posters, really cool posters. Got one a, a twenty inch one here in the studio, uh, and also they photoshopped the background out of the uh, out of our show art to put us on t shirts and stuff too. If you want uh, really badass podcasters cosplaying as Renfair characters, uh, it's all at merch.baldmove.com. So check that out. Uh, and thanks for working working hard on that for us, Deb. Uh, let's get right to the rest of the feedback. It's hot D at baldmove.com is how you contribute to this year podcast. Um, and oh my goodness, we got we get so much of it. Daniel J says, I really love this week's episode. I feel like the show has found its voice and I love the ways in which it's decidedly not Game of Thrones. So far, there's been no cartoonishly evil characters like Joffrey or Ramsey, no White Walkers, just real people with complex motivations and flaws. Even politically ambitious players like Otto are grounded in decency. Uh, Crab Feeder might have been a real piece of shit, but we didn't get to know him. <laughs> yeah. Didn't look like he had a lot of redeeming, you know, I don't even know if he could take that mask off. It might have fused to his mm-hmm. barnacle face. Who knows? Yeah. And Damon uh, is not a cartoon character. He's. He's petty. He's impetulant. He's a child. He's all those things, but he's not a cartoon. Nah, if he was, and Rhaenyra walked into that Silka Street joint, he would have gone a wooga, and his face would have turned into a wolf, <laughs> uh-huh. and his tongue and rolled out. So that, that's right away how you can tell he's not a cartoon character. Uh, Viserys is most emblematic of the show's tone. Daniel opines he's flawed but sweet, passionate but tortured. House of Dragon is less an adrenalized version of Game of Thrones, and it suits me better. Which is wild because from the first episode, I kind of thought we might have a show trying to out Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it this was a lot of sex, but it's someone pointed out, I think it was on the House of Our Joanna and Mallory show where they said it was the difference about this sexual depictions in this show and in some of especially early goings of Game of Thrones where they would use, you know, 
women having sex is kind of like it's like people would be talking and then in the background people just be swinging from trapeze and you know doing all this performative sex where mm-hmm. like in these back rooms of brothels like people were fucking you know like people were touching people people is just kind of like a heaving writhing mass it wasn't for viewer it, i don't know i i feel like i'm doing a bad job of saying it wasn't intended for like one particular person's pleasure or the other or wasn't voyeuristic for one person or other it's kind of like more pan in its appeal so okay it's also for the characters more than the audience which i appreciated that's exactly what i was trying to say about the voyeurism it wasn't you know like it it wasn't intentionally it was there to titillate the characters sure and for them to participate in and we happened but like the other stuff felt like it's more for like man this is some boring dialogue (laughs) let's throw some ass and titties in there yeah uh shake them around so so that the people pay attention I also like the way the past two episodes have had more of a renaissance feel to the clothing, art depiction, and direction of the customs of the realm. Game of Thrones often avoided this kind of visual iconography. Some viewers have called out the fact that House of Dragon is happening almost two centuries before Game of Thrones, but there's been no noticeable cultural or technical logical difference between the two eras. I think the Hathi's use of renaissance iconography does some work in differentiating the two time periods, making Hathi seem more antique than Game of Thrones. Hmm. I know that's one of George's desires. He wanted it to be, because if you look at a lot of his covers before the show started releasing, like, man, it's really Renfesty uh, in the, 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 the blousing and the coloration and the plumage of feathers and all uh, festooning hmm. hats and stuff. Um, it's a lot more Henry VIII than you would think just if you watched right. the show. Yeah. And yeah, like the, this, this really uh, colorful heraldry and, you know, mismatching of themes and colors and, and shapes and stuff. I, I think it's cool, too. Uh, I was wondering if you noticed the overt use of wind sounds in this week's episode. I thought it was pretty heavy handed. I was wondering what the show creators were saying with this. Are we to understand that the winds of winter are blowing? Did you mm. notice? Wind. So, I'll say that I did notice uh, when they were in Storm's End, the Baratheon castle doing the Bachelorette episode. There was a lot of wind, but canonically, that's a windy as fuck place. Like the reason this is called Storm's End is because they I think they built five castles on that spot that the sea blew down. And then they got, I think, an assist from Brandon, the builder, the guy who built Winterfell on the wall. And he came down and like, fuck it. I got this. And that's when Storm's End was created. But it's still right there uh, on the coast of the narrow sea battered by that those those uh, westerly winds um, I didn't notice any others so, I mean, hmm. I, and I thought that was appropriately cinematic maybe, maybe there is some subtle winds blowing maybe yeah they, I don't know it seems a little too early for that in the history but they're, I mean they're going into the, the prophecy stuff so who knows? Uh, we got a ton of feedback on this because we are flatulent central. Mm-hmm. Uh, high command of flatulence. Oscar from Puerto Rico says, did you guys not hear the super fart? The serious let loose during this episode. Speaking of windy, it happened after Alicent asked if Damon wanted to see the tapestries. <laughs> the serious mockingly asked Damon if he'd want to see the tapestries and he burst into laughter while letting the nastiest fart go. I watched hmm. it on the HBO Max app and rewound it four or five times to make sure I heard what I thought I heard. 
So it's funny because I compiled about half the feedback last night and then I went for a late afternoon paddleboard session for the sunset. And like you do, I was listening to Game of Thrones podcasts um, and some of them drop visual sound. You know, they'd actually drop a dialogue when they're introducing scenes. And I was thinking about this like, God, everyone's talking about this goddamn fart. And someone played this where I think what's happening is Viserys goes tapestries. No one wants to see your damn tapestries, girl. He's like blowing raspberries, but mm-hmm. it kind of cuts away from his mouth. And it sounds like he sounds like a fart because he's going like, so, yeah, are, are these I the winds of winter that the, the previous? That's what I'm talking, talking the brown winds of winter. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't I don't think so. I think this was uh, this was a uh, onomatopoeia type of fart situation, mm-hmm. not a beefy bean burrito type of fart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, but uh, you, you watch it four or five times. I just listened to it paddling a paddleboard. Uh, Alex from England says, I've been listening to you both for such a long time. I've never emailed, but felt compelled by following your chat on the previous episode for episode two, about how technology between hot D and game of Thrones has barely changed. Something that Daniel just talked about too. I'm sure there is no fact around this as everything beyond dance with dragons is essentially double D fanfic until Martin gets done with winter and spring. But do we think the Planetos in the future gets its own industrial revolution? Is electricity possible? Does magic trump all this and keep the universe in a medieval style state? I don't know if there's answers to these questions or if they're even interesting, but I'd like to see a 500 years later Westeros and how the different house exists, how the stories of dragons are told, etc. Am I insane? Just go watch Succession. I think that's it. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, I, oh god this that, is so perfect with the bridge to the next email uh that would be interesting i think to see what an industrial revolution both would look like and do to this world um but yeah i, I don't know i mean that's a good question like does the magic of westeros the weird seasons and stuff extend elsewhere into its physicality dude i could be so on board with like 10 years from now, if they really get Game of Thrones established as an IP like Star Trek or Star Wars or, you know, Marvel, DC, that kind of stuff. I would love to see a steampunk hot D. Oh, yeah. Um, I, and I do think you have a point because. I've observed that mankind will often eschew technological advancements if the old way is still profitable and more convenient. See petroleum products Mm -hmm. and i think if you have a crutch like magic and dragons and things uh that that would be a pretty good resistor to technologic change like you know why do you need to invent aircraft and bomb and all that kind of stuff but so like you know how would that society have, have grown if you've got that kind of like an anchor maybe magic goes away after the long night um part yeah, two maybe. I, but but I, I would love, yeah, I would love to see Game of Thrones with like maybe King's Landing is still there and exists. It's been rebuilt, but it's got like dirigibles. It's got okay. airships or yeah, dragons pulling like sleds. Like yeah. A reindeer, like Santa's deer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could I could definitely see <laughs> a, you know, a equivalent 17th, 18th century steampunk hot D for sure. That would be fucking sweet. I don't know. This all sounds like Martin Heresy stuff. I don't know that he would allow this. Uh, well, that's why I said ten years. You'd probably, probably Martin have to die. Does he have an estate? Does, he doesn't have kids. 
Like what happens huh. to the Martin? I don't think maybe does he, he does. He has a wife. I wonder what happens if, uh, but what once she, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't have no idea. Um, he dies. I think it reverts to her. If she dies, then what? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, they, they, they follow the line of male progenitor or whatever. So they go back sure. to his brother yeah. and his eldest child. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. know. Uh, Double T says succession with dragons was a timeline. I'm sorry. Tagline thrown around to describe the plot machinations of this show. Now I'm seeing a deeper comparison like succession. This show is a bunch is 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 really a show about a bunch of privileged assholes being assholes to each other. Unlike succession, I'm enjoying hot D. But if I'm being honest, it's only because I'm such a fan of the world of Game of Thrones. I find it infinitely more entertaining than the corporate bullshit of succession, which hits too close to home with its miserable cynicism. It doesn't change the fact to me that this is a show filled with unlikable characters. The story intrigues me, but I couldn't give a dire wolf's ass who wins in the end. I'm not invested in anyone. And I compare this to the likability and charisma of characters in the first seasons of Game of Thrones with Ned, Jon Snow, Arya, Bran, Tyrion, Sam, even roguish characters like Jaime and Bronn you could sort of get behind. Uh, problem is Targaryens seem to be all Lannisters with dragons, a bunch of arrogant pricks. Hmm. Uh, do you guys, I know you guys also have problems with succession. Are you seeing some of the same issues here? Not, not entirely. I mean, I think there are, yeah, are a bunch of assholes who I don't like, but also I'm really liking some characters like Rhaenyra and Viserys and Lord Strong. Um, I think those are like the standouts so far for me as far as likability goes. So I don't think everybody's an asshole. I think Rhaenyra is turning out pretty unlikable, though. I I definitely have. The more I see, the more I'm like, "Eh." like I said, last this episode is the first time I've actually disliked her in a scene. Okay. Uh, Okay. But up till this point, she's been all all good with me. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, character arcs are arcs when people grow. And I don't know how much growth Jon Snow actually did. He started off as a very good principled guy. And he ended as a very good principled guy. It was tested. I mean, he was tested. He had all these different tests of his bravery, of his courage, of his kindness, of his. But like, you know, he passed every single one of them. It might be more interesting to turn someone like, you know, bratty, privileged, entitled person like Rhaenyra and see if she could become a capable ruler. Uh, Can someone as like pragmatic and um, tradition oriented in terms of the gender roles and stuff as Alicent? Can she like is would she be a better queen or can she? find the middle path between kind of where she started and, you know, can, can she become less of a Sansa, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I, I see your point. I think that the shows are in different points of time. Like we haven't even gotten to what I would call the inciting event. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the inciting event of game of Thrones with John Aaron's death, that's like the shit was starting to happen and starting to roll. And you saw these people thrust into the limelight like three quarters of the cast of characters hasn't even been introduced. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say like three quarters of the most important people haven't been induced, but like there's a lot of stuff to come. And it's a balancing act between like I think we're paying the price for a deeper understanding of the setting and how things got there by the, the price we pay there is for thinner characters. Gotcha. You know. There's still lots of hot D to talk about. We'll be back right after the break. And now back to hot D. 
Uh, Brandon from Louisville says, aren't there other Targs living in Westeros at this time? Surely there's more than just the four that we have seen on the show. Who are they and where do they live? This is the type of question I just can't answer. I'm sorry. I could I could read the Wikipedia article, uh, the uh, wiki of ice and fire that will tell you who all the Targaryens are and what they're living and what they're doing and what do they do when their banners are called and and, uh, who's who's banner they heed. But, you know, that's what we call spoilers. So. I, I, these are type of questions I could tell you the dragons and their names and their colors and all that. But don't you just kind of want to see them shriek on a screen? Mm-hmm. Andy from L.A. says, hey, guys, I'm enjoying your coverage of House of the Dragon on Patreon. Well, thank you for your support. I noticed that everyone's having fun with the hot D acronym. However, the official title of the show is Game of Thrones colon hot house of the dragon, which makes the acronym got hot D got hot D got colon hot D it's a T-shirt. Colon right makes it even nastier, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could just run that back like the old Got Milk commercials, right? Mm-hmm. Got Hot D. Have that oh, hot wow. D plus down somebody's top lip. Plus, people are not watching Hot D to, to think you're just really full of yourself. Or maybe you're just asking. Yeah. You're just asking, who's got it? Sure. I want it. I mean, that was the milk thing. Yeah, there's a question right. mark at the end. Yeah, you got milk because I want your milk. Because I, I, you know what? I always interpret it as like, you got milk because I do. I got my milk. You should get your milk. But you're saying that that was a that was a questing question. Yeah, who's I think got some, milk? Do you yeah, got I'm milk? Looking for milk? Do you got? Give me, give, give me your fucking milk. I need. Yeah, okay. Wow. Yeah, that, that's how I always interpreted that. <laughs> I came at it from the opposite end. So like, yeah, this this uh, hmm. that would make you seem like you're thirsty for hot D. I was thinking of saying you possess it, and you're like mm-hmm. asking anyone else if they do as well. Either, Either way, one works. Yeah. Banger T-shirt. We'll see, 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 see what Deb thinks of that. Uh, Lisbeth says on my second watch of episode three and after discussion about whether Damon is impotent or if he just was frustrated during his encounter with Rhaenyra, I started putting a few things together. Not only did he seem unable to perform an episode one with his mistress, but when speaking to Rhaenyra in that garden area where they're speaking in high of Valerian, she mentions that basically his wife is lucky because he hasn't put a baby in her. Mm-hmm. Is this because he never sees her? Or is it because he's impotent? I wonder if this leads to more later on. It seems like a lot of instances at this point pointing towards either he cannot perform. And if so, why would that be a thing? I'm curious. What good is an heir who can't produce heirs? Mm, not I, very good. I mean, that, that draws into question. Like, why should we why should I make you the heir at all if you're unable to produce heirs beyond yourself? Come on, Damon. Yeah, yeah and it could be this role. He he, doth, the the gentleman doth protest too much about the whole bronze bitch stuff because I think canonically mm-hmm. Lady Royce is supposed to be beautiful. So is he just hmm. dogging her? Because and so that no one asks him like, how come you haven't gotten a child out of her yet, Damon? You yeah. know, and he fuck, and every time we've actually seen him having sex, he's never gotten there. Yeah. Sometimes he's not even started. Lots of different no, ways to be impotent. Lots of different causes too. Definitely something to that. Uh, Rinley Baratheon was somewhat impotent, but only with Marjorie. Uh, uh-huh. I'm not saying that Damon is, uh, uh, you know, thinking that way. I'm just saying there's lots of ways you can be impotent um, that might not sure. be like a permanent medical condition. Uh, Leon from Portsmouth, UK, says regarding Damon being covered in crab feeders blood, would Damon be aware of the risk of grayscale? The maesters didn't mention grayscale as a possible infection when examining Viserys, and I'm wondering if grayscale was a known condition in the time period of Hati. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, you know King Jaehaerys, Jim? Old mm-hmm. King Jaehaerys. This would be Viserys's grandfather. Well, yep. he had a daughter, Megal, Miguel, uh, who was a, uh, became a septa and dedicated her life to healing, and she specialized in helping children with grayscale. And tragically, she caught grayscale and died of it. Just real poke in the eye for number one, anyone saying that Targaryens can't get disease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and two, if you think that uh, maesters don't know about grayscale, I, I think that um, what it is, is we know about grayscale and it's kind of like the only pox we really are familiar with if we're showrunners. So like uh, when we see a skin lesion, like, oh, shit, that's grayscale. This is like the lupus of house. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to me like Viserys is manifesting grayscale. Uh, that, that's not reading as grayscale to me. That's reading as some sort of other wound. disease. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it is definitely known. I mean, obviously, this stuff is outside of the uh, universe canon. But like, yeah, grayscale is certainly known by this time. And I, I just think it's not I just think it's not grayscale. Sarah says, though, did you happen to see the scaly spots in Damon's neck and chest? Maybe I was looking for it, but I swear I saw them. Very pale, scaly spots, but I could have sworn they're there. Maybe they mm-hmm. didn't drop the grayscale ball. There's definitely um, some kind of like it's either scarring or yeah, something irregular about the skin there for sure. So in last episode, um, they showed Damon taking a fire arrow to the upper chest area. Mm-hmm. And the flames are kind of like bathing over his neck and chest. And in the subsequent okay. scenes of the episode, that is very red and inflamed. And I think they're suggesting that these are stepstone war wounds that he got burnt by these arrows. And uh, which, again, Targaryen fireproofness. Where am I right? Right. Um, yeah. And when I when I did some some pausing on my 4K copy and getting real close to the television and using my bifocals and squinting and it looks like burn tissue to me. Yeah, makes sense. Marshall from uh, Tampa, Florida says, "I'm a former Navy Corps captain here, an Afghani Afghanistan veteran with firsthand experience in naval and army traditions. Marines are great because they kind of go both ways. They're in with the Navy, but they also are pounding the ground." Uh, superior female commissioned officers are directly referred to as ma'am when given an order the response to the navy and the marines is i ma'am and when answering a yes or no question the answer is yes or no ma'am there's no current tradition uh, official or unofficial that superior female officers be referred to as sir there could be some historic examples of this from other militaries but i've never seen this in real life nor would there be any tolerance for it in practice i've direct experience with this because during officer candidate school i accidentally referred uh, said I, sir, to a female officer because I've been saying sir a lot and that muscle memory built up and oh, the female no. officer rightly lit me the fuck up. Would never make that mistake again, which is a good thing because I primarily look f- work for more senior female Marine Corps officers during my service. There's zero tradition of referring to women as sir or gentlemen, even in a mixed group. My hunch is this is a purely sci- Hollywood invention out of misplaced attempt at representing our military customs and traditions. I cringe every time I see this on Star Trek and other sci-fi series that have practices loosely based on naval traditions. Well, there you go. Yeah, um, I feel like you, we talked about this already, did we not? We Well, but we... I think we asked and now we got these are the answers we the definitive answers on it um, oh because i thought i remembered talking about how i've been lied to by every single uh, i think we wondered if we've been lied to because we got a couple of you this is just happened to be the first service member to respond but gotcha. uh we got uh, uh conf- I, the only uh, the only branch that didn't re- uh, report in 
Coast Guard, Space Force, and Air Force. Okay. We heard from the Army, Navy, and, and Marines. Uh, Barrett says, when you were giving your Mia culpa and not knowing about the they, them of one of the hot decasts, I realized two things. One, I was woefully unaware that we've mostly just been watching Millie Alcock play young Rhaenyra and not Emma DRC. Alcock uses she, her pronouns and DRC uses they, them. Two, it got me thinking about whether they are setting the groundwork for one or both of Rhaenyra and Allison to be a lesbian, bisexual, or have an otherwise queer relationship. We first meet young Rhaenyra, played by Millie Alcock. She comments to Allison that her dragon may soon be large enough for two people to ride. It's extremely subtle, but it had a bit of a romantic ride together with Allison. Later in episode one, we see Rhaenyra laying in Allison's lap, discussing their potential future across the narrow sea. The other piece that caught my eye is Allison has a nervous anxiety tick of biting her fingernails when placed with or faced with the prospect of romancing the king. It's easy to assume it's because of the age gap, but it also makes sense if it's actually a gender aversion to the male king. Uh, it, there could be a lot of reasons why, but the show's hinting at Allison being some form of not entirely straight. I think they're setting up Rhaenyra has at least some leanings toward the male gender. Maybe Allison's love of Rhaenyra is unrequited. Maybe they're bringing in Emma, the RC, to re- portray an LB- LGBTQ character in greater depth later possible i saw some behind so i think one of these young ladies is gay i can't remember which one but i remember this being part of the preseason stuff and that 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 they'd gotten together and they had decided that there was a little bit of like maybe it was experimental maybe it was actually like the buddings of of young gay love uh Mm -hmm. between allison and uh rhaenyra um and i definitely think that came across so that's a valid interpretation of those scenes um, and it would be super interesting because it's not like because like this is a part of Martin's world. Um, the, the way being gay conflicts in his culture in the various different because like, you know, there's the whole air of it. There's the whole forced marriage aspect of it. There's the hyper masculinity and patriarchy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in this era, there's definitely characters in the books that are um, discussed about being gay or sometimes openly gay that will figure into the plot unless they erase them from the the thing. And I don't, I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah. So there's, yeah, it's like everything you're picking, you're picking up is being put out there. I just, it, there's also as there's a lot of other interpretations like, and you know, Hollywood so, tends to like to play pussyfoot with this stuff more than just tackle it straight on, especially with like your mainline protagonists. Um, but I don't, yeah, I yeah. don't know. That would definitely complicate things. Um, you know, like I said, the the whole uh, forced marriage aspect of it would be really tragic in that case. Yeah, it's. I mean, this series is no stranger to that. I mean, they did it in Game of Thrones, so. Yeah, you had Rinley and Sir Lawrence, and mm-hmm. uh, even even Cersei in the books fucked around with some uh, lesbian uh, dalliances. Hmm. Uh, Hannah says, "I was immediately suspicious about the moon tea that was delivered to Princess Rhaenyra." The maester said it was from the king, but I don't believe him. I think the king is too timid of a father to send his daughter Plan T. I love the way everybody's referring to the moon tea as Plan T. I think he would rather believe that his daughter was innocent as she claimed to be to Allison. I think the tea was sent by someone on the council, perhaps Otto, but maybe even Daddy Strong. If she drinks it, it could be evidence of her loss of virtue and cause Allison to feel betrayed according to her opposition to Rhaenyra's claim. Boy... Was this a hot email in my feedback box? 
there's variations of it, but everyone wants to know is like, are we sure Viserys ordered this tea to be drank? B, who might it be if not? And C, is it a loyalty test? Because if Rhaenyra drinks it, she's confessing that she needs it. If she doesn't drink it, I don't. This is one bold maester. If this is not an order from the king, this is a bold fucking maester, man. Like, come in here and tell the heir to be that the king has ordered you to drink this tea. I mean, we've seen some pretty bold maesters. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's sort of beyond the pale. I can't even imagine what, what do you think the about consequences Otto would be. As a parting gift. I, I mean, it all comes down to this maester. That's like <laughs> the point of contact here is the maester. The person who's saying it came from the king is the maester. So he's he the has guy to be complicit. who would have to be. So if it's anybody's idea than him, it's a conspiracy. It's a, yes, it's a by yes. de facto a conspiracy. I don't yeah, think so say I guess, I mean, if you want to say auto, sure, auto, like as, you know, the the previous hand of the king has now conspired to do what, though? To do what? Well, so like, so, yeah, what are we saying? The auto is going to come right. in. He's just been dismissed by the king. Uh-huh. He's going to come in. And it's like, uh... Uh, sire, as I was cleaning out my desk, uh, I got word that your daughter, in fact, guzzled the moon tea that I had secretly prepared for her, thus proving that she is a fornicator. <laughs> oh, aren't I not back in your good graces, my liege? Like, fuck no, that's not gonna, yeah, like, he castle. might get ran through. He yeah. might get ran through. Uh, he might get dracaris Like, yeah, I don't, it's like, that's some things, like, to what end? Like, now, so let's ask. So let, I, I think you and I are both skeptical of anybody Very. but the king. Does mm-hmm. Viserys, as a test, have the maester brew this and then has the ladies in wait report to him whether it's uh, drank the next morning? Uh, possibly. I mean, I can see that. I, I, to me, like what this is saying is he doesn't fully trust her. That's that's what they're actually trying to indicate yes. here. I don't think there's some grand conspiracy. Nah, I don't either. think. This is a loyalty test. I really think it's just saying Viserys doesn't believe her. And you know what? If I'm an 18 year old teenage punk that just had secret sex and my my mom or dad comes in here and says, drink this fucking tea, you salute. Mm-hmm. I'm probably like I'm 50 50 like, well, you know what? Maybe I should drink this. Like, If I want to get right with my dad's like, you know what? I know what I did. But if this makes them feel better, I'll drink the tea. And then I'm going to be. Con- hmm. I mean, I guess in this case, I'm feel fucking guilty as sin any either way. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, either way, it's a confession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd probably not drink it out of spite. I'd be, like, I'm gonna carry this this love baby to full term, and yeah, yeah. I got that a baseball like and get dad. What are you yeah. gonna do about it? Uh, Lord. Uh, Jake from Cali says, "Hey guys, quick succession. Sorry, quick question." If King Viserys' whole point when questioning Otto initially over his accusation was, was she sullied? Couldn't Viserys have one of his maesters do the hymen examination of his daughter, a la rapper T.I.? Holy shit, that's a deep cut. Uh, and see for sure if Damon or anything, uh, anyone thus far has pierced the veil, so to say. It wouldn't clear, wouldn't it clear a lot of confusion around Damon, but it also could force Rhaenyra to say who actually did it, Sir Crispin Cole. <sighs> Well, I, ha- I am I'm honor bound here to point out that an intact hymen is not the be all end all evidence for virginity. Uh, it can mean 
anything from the lady rode a horse too hard to the lady experimented with a hairbrush to the lady maybe didn't have a fully formed hymen in the first place. I was going to say, uh, yeah. So there's... let's just get just just before the medieval lawyers come out to inform. I, I get it that this is this is a bullshit test of purity, which is in itself a bullshit concept. Having said that, we know from Game of Thrones that that was one of the things that like uh, the maesters did with Sansa before they 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 inspected her to make sure she was still intact. Okay, Um, so this is a thing that this society believes in as a foolproof litmus test of of uh, and I I suppose if you have a completely intact diamond, it does say that you haven't had anything in your vagina. That's odds are pretty good too deep, I guess. Like it says nothing about the poop hole loophole. Says nothing about the Bill Clinton uh, oral sex exemption. The many uh-huh. ways that that people can make love to each other, but there's no PNV. Probably asterisks, mm-hmm. asterisks. What do you think? What do you think about uh, the king testing I mean, his daughter? If he wants to make way? a federal case out of it, sure. If if <laughs> if it turns out she doesn't drink the moon tea, and he really wants to know, sure, why not? I guess sure they could go that route, but. Boy, that seems extreme. Uh, I'm getting an update from the Ball Move News Deck from our producer that it's Emily uh, Carey who plays young Allison, who has identified as queer. So I, you know what? I would have swore it was the opposite. So that's why I was like, you know what? Yeah, I literally wouldn't take a bullet over this knowledge. I'm going to I'm just going to say one of them because I was sure that one of them did. And it turns out it was it was Allison. Um. Let's move on to Maggie, who says, I know the standard obvious take on Allison's reaction to Rhaenyra and Damon hooking up is that she's horrified, but her true feelings inside may be jealousy. She's stuck with a husband who's falling apart and just pumping out babies where Rhaenyra still has her pick of the hot dudes of the kingdom. Recall Damon asking for Allison's favor during the joust in episode one. She seemed pretty flattered and her strong feelings of distaste regarding Damon seem like how one acts when they're too when they're hot for someone, but trying not to show it by acting disgusted instead. Would love to know what you guys think. I mean, it's not quite explicit in the episode, but it is there saying that she's at least jealous of her lifestyle of the freedom that she has compared yes. to, to what Allison is experiencing at the moment. So sure, I could see jealousy from that angle. As far as like specifically for Damon, I mean, I don't know. It was her obligation and her duty in that moment to give him favor. I, it, did she seem overly like excited about it? I, I can't quite remember. I, that was my interpretation of that scene that, yeah, she has to do it because he's the prince and she looks at her, but like, and she gives a look to her father and her father's dying inside because, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. but also she's a 14 year old girl. And this is like one of the, he's not even eligible, ba- uh, ba- he's an eligible bastard. almost said he's an ineligible bastard <laughs> in the realm. He's, uh, he's like this, he's the prince. And he's a badass warrior and he's in his fancy dragon stuff. And he's saying, I want your favor, my lady, as a 14 year old. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I I think she was a little she even even if she was uh, leaning towards the ladies. Like, I still think you're you're capable of being flattered, you know, right? Oh, sure. I've been I've been hit on by men and I was always like, oh, mm-hmm. God, <laughs> I didn't know I could pull. You know, it's like it's like I. Yeah. So like it's it, it happens. Right. Yeah. Um, Al- 
Alex says, in the main Game of Thrones show, we don't learn much about Varys' background. The master of Whisper's role seems to be a family business. What are the chances that the little boy is either a father or grandfather of Varys, or that Mysteria is Varys' grandmother or mother, whether by blood or marriage? Hmm. Do we believe Missaria when she says she can't have children? Uh, try to remember exactly how she phrased it. She, she, she said she saw to I, it that she would not have children. She took steps but, to ensure she would not be afflicted with children. And to me, that sounds like some modification of plumbing, magical, yeah, surgical. I think you're right. Super moon so, tea. Sure. I believe her in that. Um, but I also think that seems like some Disney small world shit. I, I, I don't know, especially mm. with the origins of Varys. That's like the odds are astronomical. Yeah, do we want this to be too much like Star Wars where like Yoda comes out right. out of nowhere and is like, old drinking bro- buddies, me and Chewbacca were. It's like, what? Yeah. What? Darth Vader put together C-3PO for a slate. What? You know, like sometimes like it makes you're right. A very, very small world. Yeah. Too, too just so. And I, I don't really like that. I, I like things a little bit messier. Um, I definitely think that the use of children as informants um, is a spiritual, you know, ancestor to Varys's little birds. Right. So, like, mm-hmm. if there's not a genetic connection, there's certainly a, um, a spy craft connection. Which and is it could just neat. be a cultural connection. Right. Because they are from the, the same area of the world. So it could just be the like children are viewed differently over there. Um did we talk about this in the main podcast? The fact that I like, maybe. was this a feedback that like some, cause I, I thought this was a good point that, you know, Varys and Misery are both people who were used as children mm-hmm. and that they might not see the use of children in the exact same way that uh, those of us that had like upbringings where we were legally protected, you know, like sure. sometimes that abuse and rolls downhill. Mm-hmm. I think that's an, in- an interesting point to keep in mind. Um, Emily says Viserys taking out his anger and frustration on a poor Otto and eventually firing him is reminiscent of Damon beating the messenger last episode. I wouldn't advise telling any Targaryen any bad news going forward. This is interesting because one of the many drawbacks to being an evil overlord or just like a, a, a peevish dickish leader is you eventually are surrounded by yes men because you drive away, mm-hmm. execute or fire the rest and then you cease getting accurate information about the world and then you're fucked. Then you're yeah. fucked. Yeah. A oh boy. So, I view those two things as very different, but yes, I think it's a dangerous thing to tell powerful people news. They don't want to hear. <laughs> Especially yeah. if, and, if they're as impetuous as Damon. Yeah. And I think you're, you're right. You're like beating someone half to death is different than sacking them for cause. And that's, that's but it's the it's the four right? cause. It's like yes. how much do you? But but the thing is, is like I feel like the show tell, told us that um, maybe not to the to the extent that Viserys thinks, but the Otto is compromised. Mm-hmm. He's compromised by the pressure his brother puts on him. He's compromised by the fact that his daughter's on the throne and his blood is in is is now in line to. It's like, yeah, I yeah that that's the problem I have with this analysis anyway. Patrick says, is this show being told officially from the narrative point of view of Rhaenyra? In the first episodes, the older version of her is narrating the choosing of a new king. I know you mentioned the book has multiple narrators, but I find it interesting that they use a character that gives 
the future demise of the Targaryens uh, and how they ultimately cease to exist. Are we to think that this is her telling a story to someone? Man, there's there's two types of voiceovers. There's like the Henry Hill voiceover in Goodfellas. All my life, I wanted to be a gangster. And he shows up throughout the scene. It's clearly his point of view, his life story. Mm-hmm. And then there's like Galadriel in the prologue of Lord of the Rings, where she's just like a point of view character giving the omniscient narration of what happened. Or I guess it could be her point of view of the prologue, but it's certainly not her point of view story. If anyone, it's Sam's point of view. Mm. So like, you can go in both artistic directions and both are perfectly valid and successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing this is going to be more of the Galadriel type. Yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't know. I don't see this all coming back to like a scene at the very end where Rhaenyra is sitting with Alicent or something and talking about, Oh, remember all those experiences right. we went through. Remember that dance we had with dragons. Wasn't that crazy? Right. Um, yeah. And like, I, I also like, um, there's things that are happening that there's no way that Rhaenyra would know, but I, I guess that happens in Goodfellas too. But like Henry always explains that in narration that like, you know, he knew about this because blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Uh, I, I doubt it, but it's uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, there's evidence pointing towards this POV theory to go forward. Patrick also says, was the secret tunnel from the episode the one that Tyrion uses to escape King's Landing and Jamie used to have Cersei meet Tyrion in the final season? It's important. Well, I don't know how important it is. It is accurate from a lore perspective to understand that this is not a tunnel. This is a series, a maze-like web of tunnels that shoot through the Red Keep, allowing people to go from one room uh, to the next and from inside and outside the castle without detection. Um, so it, it wouldn't be surprised if they reused the sets a lot just because, you know, um, and, and obviously, you know, there was the big skull of... Um, so th- that's the other thing is like, Huh. I thought that skull. That tunnel, the skull of Balerion the Black Dread is not part of the tunnel. Do you think so? I can't keep track of the skull because wasn't it in like the crypts or whatever? It was and in, it still is. It was still surrounded by. So I'm, I'm guessing she took a tunnel that connected to there and then another yeah. tunnel because like. I think so. I don't think those are Megor's secret tunnels. Um, and in the Game of Thrones series, like Robert hated the Targaryens and he had all the official displays of the Targaryens, the bones and whatnot, stricken to like the underlayers of King's Landing where you, you could conceivably come across them. Um, but no, there's there's a bunch of different tunnels. I, I don't think there's just a tunnel that goes from a point A to point B. It's just there. It's just crisscross and confusing and you can get lost easily, etc. To, to jump back to that previous email for a second, wasn't that yeah. like one of the popular running theories in Game of Thrones where it was going to be Sam writing writing yeah. some book? Like the, the official end, history. Yeah, keeping yeah, the official history. Official book we were going to write. But yeah, it was going to be Sam the song writing of Ice and the Fire, probably. Of the Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. Although, who knows? It might have been a better ending than what they did come up with. <laughs> And who would write a better story for the end of Game of Thrones but Sam the Storyteller? Mm-hmm. Certainly wasn't David and Dan, those bastards. Uh, let's move on to Josh. The biggest question I had, and surprised that neither, you, neither of you mentioned on a Tuesday, is why didn't Rhaenyra just go back to her room the way she came? Tunnel talk. 
then she just calls bullshit on Otto and use Sir Christian as her alibi. She could still seduce him if she wanted to, but he could truthfully say she never left her room. I know the simple answer is Rainier is naivete in politics, but still. Yeah. I mean, I think she's intentionally trying to get his, his attention here, right? Like this yeah. is, this is a thing to make him notice her and then pull him into the room. Yeah. I'm super bad at directions. So like if you give me a good, like if Google maps takes me someplace, that's like 15 minutes away and then you destroyed my phone. I would be lost. Mm-hmm. I would have to call my wife and be like, can someone pick me up? I have no idea how to get home. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know? I, I I wonder, like, if Rainier's got the same thing. She's following this map. It's dark. It's twisty. It's dark. Like, do you pay attention to all the landmarks from the secret tunnel that you emerged from? I got it to, like, when Damon left her, she, uh, I don't know if she still had the map. And I don't know, like, if she just one time through, it's a, just super easy. Now, do you buy that like as, as an in-universe explanation for someone not taking what seems to be the obvious? Like if, if you sneak out of your house through the back window, for example, you never come back in through the front door. <laughs> if you're you're talking about if you're a teenager sneaking out yes. from your parents house. OK, yes. yes I'm like, yes. why would I be sneaking out from my own house? <laughs> Sorry, a and B, I thought why that was all I clear. The front door. No. Okay. Yeah. Remember when you're like 17 and you're sneaking sure, out and absolutely. you're not letting your. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah, but I'm pretty familiar with the backyard of my home. I'm less familiar with the secret tunnel that I've just opened up for the first time and didn't know was there and all the ins and outs of that. And your home's not a giant castle that's like a complex Mm -hmm. unto its own. I mean, yeah, I I, I didn't think it was that uh, big a deal. I didn't think it was I I don't think it's just because she's naive. I mean, I think she knew that there was consequences to being discovered and she also probably trusted Sir Kristen is not going to rat her out even before she decided to seduce him nah I was gonna say because I think the natural question people might ask is is that why she seduced him you know to kind of like make him complicit of her being a bad girl but like I don't think she's thinking like that Mm -hmm. Uh, Joe says one thing that stood out to me in the conversation between Rhaenyra and Alicent in the Godswood was Rhaenyra swore on the memory of her mother that nothing happened between her and Daemon and while they didn't have sex, it's a lie to say nothing happened. This recalls when Viserys swore he would not replace Rhaenyra as his heir on the memory of her mother. As Rhaenyra lied while using this verbatim oath, do you think the writers are indicating that Viserys is also lying? Is this a hint that he will cave and replace Rhaenyra? No. I, I think this is the opposite. This is actually like Viserys is going to take that vow very seriously, and she is using it as a tool to make people believe her. Uh, yeah. I, I think... Yeah, I don't think they're saying anything about Viserys' vow. Yeah, I think kids do that sometimes, man. They like Mm -hmm. they'll take something you say as an adult, and they keep that in their memory banks of like, oh, this is people say things when they want you to trust them, and you know, sure, yeah. Eventually, that's part of that's part of them becoming independent adults, and the more you, I guess, make it sure that they know that the consequences of telling the truth will never be worse than trying to get away with a lie. Then maybe it doesn't happen so often, but mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. I'm in the middle of the teenage years. I'll let you know in four years how to do it. Right. Um, Rick T says, I heard Joanna Robinson of the ringer interview hot D production designer, Claire Richards. And I learned that many, if not all of us thought, uh, what many, if not all of us, thought were exotic tapestries in King's Landing depicting dragon on Targaryen sex are actually painting. 
of sex acts for baby Aggie and anyone else to learn dragon riding birds and bees. Uh, it's funny because like I, this is something I listened to. I, I'm not sure because I was okay. Grant, I was listening to this at 1.5 x speed, but I thought she was like, I, I don't. I think you're supposed to still understand that they're, they're pa- tapestries. It's just they're they're not actual really woven tapestries or paintings. Sure, like but, like the background in a lot of Star Wars is an actual cities, right? It's it's matte paintings. paintings. Yeah. But it could be maybe that maybe I maybe. misunderstood and they actually are paintings. I just because like the reason you hang tapestries on castle walls is not for decoration. We understand this, right? It's to dampen echo and keep like sure. the cold damp radiating from the the castle walls from from, uh, you know, being drafty and shitty. So like if they are paintings, then they're not probably doing a good job of either of those. But fuck, I don't know. Maybe I misunderstood the tapestries. I are. Are these pictures of human beings like 69ing and wheelbarrowing each other supposed to be dragon riding techniques? Did I did I misinterpret that? Uh, I guess. Yeah. That these Is that are how you what, ride a dragon? The, the, the stuff that we thought were dragon on people sex or people on dragon sex are actually just people riding dragons. Do I not understand what they mean by riding a dragon? <laughs> well, you know. These are people that bred that that breed sister to brother. Like who who knows who knows okay. what definitions they have for writing. Turns out hmm. the maester's going to explain that writing can mean you know sitting on one's back or fucking the shit out of one. It's like the, that's another sure. one of those dual use Targaryen words. Valerian words. There's still lots of hot D left to talk about. We'll be right back after the break. And now back to hot D. Uh, Audrey says, I had a different take about Masaria's motives with Damon than you expressed in your instant talk. I did not at all view her as a spurned lover turning on Damon, but as a businesswoman who's taking care to maintain the life she had built against all odds while still caring for someone who was once of great importance to her. This is a woman who is doing anything she can to live on her own terms using every asset in her arsenal. As a foreign woman sold into sexual slavery, she was of lowest order in Westeros. After learning that even winning the affections of a dragon prince could not keep her safe from fear, she seems to take matters fully into her own hands. She's clearly become a trusted source of information to Otto, probably using a blend of Varys and Littlefinger's techniques by utilizing children and brothel workers alike to collect her information. Ooh, she's got that that two channel, that dual power she's built. <laughs> really knows how to pick them from from Damon to Otto. <laughs> to who now right yeah yeah well what's she gonna do trust a ned stark type they're just gonna wind up the first to go mm-hmm. the way damon used her as a pawn in his game to upset his brother definitely damaged their relationship to where he was not out of bounds for her to inform on him however she was not lying about protecting him she got him safely off the streets and offered him comfort for his hangover i think it was a legit cure because she could have so easily killed him or left him uh, hurt countless other ways than bringing him to her home and waiting for him to wake up to poison him. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I don't know. Like, this is a magical universe. So, like, a potion can mean anything from killing you with poison to making you infertile forever to mm-hmm. binding you to her will. Like, you got to think less sure. Walgreens and more witchery, you know? Uh, she was under uh, she was even tender in her placement of her shadow to shield his eyes from the sun not moving until he proved he was going to be an utter dick about everything <laughs> before she leaves that, yeah. yeah yeah 
Before she leaves, she looks like she wants to tell him something more, but thinks better of it. Whether it's to express warning or speak of affection, I got the feeling she was a woman who could easily see Damon as still as immature as ever, and her life would be better at this point without him in it. Um, yeah. no, I think you got the right of it. I, I, that's that's a very like nuanced look at what she's doing, and I feel like that's what they're trying to tell us in those scenes. But she's still fucking him, right? Like... I don't know. Telling Otto that he was out with the princess is. Uh, oh, oh, not. <laughs> you mean in the dragon? Because that's the sense. thing is like the kids still there was still a changing of money like this kid and the white uh-huh, world yeah. and Missaria are connected. Right. Uh huh. Totally. So like he, she I, I might know, be protecting his physical body. To the but... king, like who gives a shit? Right. Like he doesn't yeah, and care she also, to lie like, about it. So she might find her way to fucking him over politically but she doesn't want to see him dead sure sure you know like i could see that like hey i you're my uh, i I, he kind of did me dirty and i would like to see you in disgrace but i don't want to see you gutted in Mm -hmm. you know some back alley and flea bottom uh christina had another thought on damon's level of planning this whole because we asked like is this something that him and corliss cooked up to like you know put the put the hot seat under the, the iron throne Maybe they should put the hot seat under Iron Throne because then they could disinfect it. Yeah. Less yeah, putting just... your daggers in the fire, more just getting your whole throne. Yeah, you know, Maybe once a month or so. You just heat it up till it's glowing red. Make mm-hmm. sure all that shit's off there and then you don't get boils no more. Christina says, I believe that Damon didn't know that Rhaenyra was going to be at King's Landing when he first decided to go over to bring Viserys to Crabfeeder's hammer and to gloat because she's supposed to be on her bachelorette tour for another two months. I got the feeling that the seeds were planted during their conversation with Rhaenyra by the Weirwood tree because that was really the first he was hearing of her thoughts of being sold into political marriage. I feel like that planted the thought in his head of, hey, I could marry her instead. And at some point between then and leaving the clothes and the map for her in the evening is when he decided how he's going to do that because he 100% took off her beanie so she'd be seen before they start hooking up at the brothel. Also, if you notice, there is a flash of Rhaenyra observing people on her own when they first entered a brothel before going to the back room, and then it flashes a Damon watching her from the distance while gripping a railing. You can almost see he's giving himself an eternal pep talk, like, all right, are we doing this, man? Yeah, you're doing this. And then he shoves off the rail and goes and grabs her and pulls her towards the back and pulls off her disguise. I think I agree with this analysis. I think that Damon is much more mm-hmm. impetuous and rash than he is calculating um, maybe Corliss might have put something as a suggestion in, but like also, I don't think Damon would react very well to Corliss. Now that I've thought about it, like Corliss telling him, like, "Hey, you know what you should do? You should go marry your niece. I really fuck with the king." I think that would be something that Damon would do the opposite of. I don't know. Um, I haven't got a good read on how manipulable, uh, manipulatable. Damon is yet because Corliss clearly succeeded in getting him to go fight the crab feeder with him. Uh, you know, to really, but he also warned him, like, don't fuck with my family, you know? Sure. Sure. And I guess like if all of this is true and Damon did not come here to get with Rhaenyra, which I, I think I'm leaning toward after that explanation. Uh, why did he come here? It's just to fuck with Viserys in another way, but what is that way? I kind of think that Damon wanted to come in from the cold. He's like, you know you what? So? I've earned it. I'm going to because like in the way he nuzzled and his brother like, and maybe and I can j- be the heir again. 
don't know about that, but like if Mysteria, if Mysteria, Mysteria abandons him and he's like, mm-hmm. you know, like Rhaenyra kind of made it not fun camping here at Bragginstone. And what am I doing? I've won this war. You know, I've distinguished myself. I need to. I don't know. I because I think he does want he still wants a throne. Mm hmm. But I think he thinks that his way of getting there is by distinguishing himself and getting back in his brother's graces and his impetuosity and his, you know, kind of take what I want philosophy fucks him over because he impetuously does this thing with Rhaenyra that enrages his brother instead. But I think that's why he came back. He genuinely wanted his brother back in his life. Yeah, after. Hmm. Hmm. So I, does Viserys read what Damon did as the same way that we read it as an audience? Like he was sending the aid. Damon knew that he was sending the aid. And so he ended this war before the aid could get there so that Damon would look good and Viserys would still look weak. Is I don't that how think Viserys so. Is reading this or is Viserys just like, oh, well, he won the war right before we needed to send aid. So that's that's good. I think, yeah, I think, I think you read it like very, he won the war before we sent the aid and now he's coming back with a crown and a hammer and this is scary. Mm. And then when he (sighs) offers up both of those, it's like, oh, fuck yeah, we can be bros again. Gotcha. And also Viserys is very, Viserys is very drunk through most of this episode. Like he's a happy drunk, but like he is, he's he's saying, oh no, he's saying more wine and the, um, Hmm. yeah, I don't think he's like sloppy drunk, but I like he was last episode. (laughs) No, no, but uh, in that garden scene where he's and his daughter and all that. No, I think he's <laughs> sure he's a little sloshed. I think he even actually literally sloshes his cup at one point. So hmm. they might be talking to Fed that he is also because of his stress and the grief in his life that he might just the, be kind of sliding into his disease or whatever he's got. His that ain't nothing either. Yeah. Like he's leaning on is probably driving him to drink leaning on black fire as a cane like they are showing this guy and like a lot of people self-medicate and that totally. uh, takes you to bad places especially in a world that doesn't have a lot of medication <laughs> milk of the poppy baby and why fuck around with the wine when he goes right right to the the uh, medieval heroin sure uh, Bethany says for the last episode the hardest part for me is keeping my mind focused on how terrible a person Damon is because Matt Smith does such a great job of making him attractive and heroic and compelling just like mm-hmm. how real life sexual predators are often charismatic and likable it does seem that the show will treat his sexual predatory behavior as it is as a black mark on Damon and a red flag for his character it's intentionally characterization and I agree with Jim on this one that they should have left it all on screen rather than have it explain his impotency in the bonus content. I did not get impotency from the scene. I think it works better if he changes his mind or perhaps intended only to tease her. He doesn't really want her. Not really. He wants her thrown. I don't think she sees that and it worries me. It's one of those ambiguous relationships that an older Rhaenyra would need to unpack with her therapist. She will one day realize <laughs> he was just using her for his own purposes. I hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly, um, mostly. Yeah, uh, I'm, and I'm also change my own mind on on this though. Like as, as if you look at it, all the seeds that they've planted here—no pun intended—about Damon's uh, impotency. I think it's starting to add up. It's it's just it's pretty subtle. Yeah. I think. So I might be changing maybe. my own mind on you know. Oh, they haven't put it on the screen. I think they maybe have. Yeah. 
Uh, the other thing important to understand is like when we're talking about sexual predators, I think it's useful to understand that I don't think they see themselves that way. Like, I don't think Damon is like in these scenes, like, fuck, yeah, I'm using her to get to the throne. He also kind of wants to have sex with his niece and he's an interested mm-hmm. in thrall. And like, yeah, he's still capable. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm not saying like I'm just saying that, like, we can't lose sight of how villains see themselves when we're trying to analyze their purposes and whatnot, because I don't think this guy's like a little finger at all. And mm-hmm. a lot of what we're talking about him, like gives him a lot more agency than he probably even feels in his own life. Like to me, he feels like a guy yeah. who's just lurching from one thing to another, trying to find love wherever he can get it, which can also be abusive and predatory for sure. But, like, there's a level of scheming that I think Bethany is applying to Damon that I don't think he possesses. But I could be wrong. So we'll have to keep watching. John says, Otto mentions to Allison to Aegon is the king's firstborn male, ergo the rightful heir to the throne. But it's not true. The baby died earlier in the season that was the firstborn. It's Balin. Maybe it's just semantics, but I was curious if that mattered or not in this universe. Um, I got a couple of people ask this question. I, I thought it's pretty obvious that like, I think it's improper to say he's the firstborn male. Sure. But it literally doesn't matter because you can't inherit shit when you're dead. And that's the right. only thing that the firstborn really matters. You know, like that's all the, where the lands and titles flow through. You should call him the eldest. That would, that would clear it up. Uh, Sewell says, okay, I think in regards to Sir Kristen and Princess Rhaenyra's tryst, Maester Aeron needs to remind all the public of what comes of this if it shed light. King Jaehaerys was so angry at his more outgoing daughter, Sarah, for participating in this sort of stuff that he banished her from the kingdom and gelded her partner and ran them through with steel. Yeah, in fact, uh, I'm not sure if this is the same person, but the previous Lord Commander gelded one of his Kingsguard for violating his chastity uh and just so we're clear Mm, that's cutting off the person's balls yep so when we you know i I think that was one of the things missing from our analysis when we're talking about oh this is just you know he's definitely wants a fucker but he probably shouldn't it's against his vows and it's kind of like well maybe he'll be dismissed no you can get strung up gibbeted gelded whatever the Lord commander wants to do to you, whatever the King wants to do to you, whatever the princess wants to do to you. <laughs> Isn't that true you know? of literally anyone at any time? I guess so. But like there's, there's things that are true. Like, you know, Joffrey could do whatever he wanted to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Right up until he couldn't, you know, right up until like his bullshittery arose to the point where people are poisoning him and trying to kill him. And, you know, like it's, but oh, but like I think yeah, I'm not I think there won't be consequences for it. I'm just right. Saying, what I'm saying order, is like this is this yeah. is not just like anything a king can do in just a general sense of the word. This is like something a king or princess could do, and all the small fo- small folk would be like, "Yeah, that's about right." <laughs> oh, you fucked okay. a princess and you're a king's guard. Yeah, you lost your balls. Yeah, we're not we're not rising up over this outrage. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. Brent from San Diego says wanted to chime in on all the feedback from folks who want to know how they can fix season eight of Game of Thrones. Short answer is you can't long answer. They shouldn't people who haven't gone through all the stages of grief since the series ended probably need to just stop watching the show as a longtime reader of the books before watching the show. I, of course, was saddened by the way the double D's chose to end their fan fiction conclusion. There's a lot that could have been avoided uh, in that clusterfuck, but it was an end that didn't happen. We have what we have. Barring a mistake decades in the future, we cannot retcon or change what has to come. I mean, come on. Do people want 
the Game of Thrones Snyder Cut. I've just had it with people asking what can be done when, in fact, nothing can be done. Agree. Uh, uh, hard agree here. Strong but, agree. But what yeah, about that? What about that steampunk? <laughs> steampunk Game of Thrones. No, none of these have felt like adequate solutions or acceptable solutions even. All right. Would you like to hear Tony's suggestion? Please change my mind. Uh, I think I know how that uh, House of Dragon and the Jon Snow project can fix at least one problem of season eight. Invent time travel. Go back to season six and remake them for the first time. One of the biggest issues I had with season eight was the Azora a high prophecy meant nothing. John being Targaryen meant nothing. John is foreshadowed many times as the guy who would defeat the Night King and to leave him out of the fight entirely was wrong. Here's how to fix it. Snow goes north for some reason. What he finds there is the court of the true king of the others. Second winter. Oh, shit. The night, <laughs> the night king we saw in Game of Thrones is the daemon of the others. He amassed his own army to take over the land of the first men and the Andals because he thought the true king wasn't moving fast enough. Perhaps they were both in line of succession okay. and the true king is weak like Viserys and his true chosen heir is the one who will bring the long night. This way we still get the prophecy. In the books, the others have a language and mock uh, the normal people so it makes sense that they're more than just mute bad guys this, this I think Johnson could work show. if you just say that like this was a minor incursion and the real threat <laughs> is still to come oh my god we talk about minor and major fulfillments of prophecies <laughs> the Night King coming to Westeros was the minor sure. fulfillment oh it, my is. God. It, it is it is it is no uh, this is no better the only way to fix this is time travel, and I don't see that happening. Well, there you go. Uh, and like, and because I like to shake things up, here is a very understated and low energy kickoff to the Maester's Corner. All right, Anthony, I, I'm bringing you in here hot. I don't have a, a, a prepared topic because uh, dragons are on the listener's mind. So oh. many questions okay. about dragons and dragon lore. Uh, I, I, I urge caution because... Mm. The answers that you are looking for, all of you, are out there on the internet, and they are all massive spoilers for Dan- for for the uh, House <laughs> of the Dragon. Yeah. So, like, w- and, and, and there's I, I get a lot of corrections when I kind of hedge and say because, like, honestly, you're supposed to in this mind have a lot of these questions, and a lot of the questions we have on dragon lore are going to be answered on this mm-hmm. show. You mm-hmm. know, because we've de- previously dealt with essentially a teenager who accidentally hatched dragon eggs and was single mother figuring it out on her own. That's and right. now we have dragon lords under the tutel of tutelage of dragon trainers and dragon masters that mm-hmm. know, you know, they have these be saddled up and they're speaking high Valerian to him. Mm-hmm. We're going to, it's the difference between Luke Skywalker, you know, like George Lucas always said in star Wars, you saw a crippled old man fighting a young farm boy in the prequels. We're going to see, Jedi, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll, right. we'll, we'll hope these prequels go a little bit better. But kicking us off, Tara here is saying, can any Valerian bond with a dragon or can only Targaryens do so? If the only Targaryens and why aren't there? Why weren't they the most powerful family in Valeria? I assumed several different families had dragons in Valeria. My thinking is if there were a thousand plus dragons in old Valeria mm-hmm. and the Targaryens weren't the most powerful family, then dragons must have been more common or the Targaryens would have ruled. I believe you said or implied only Tar- Targaryens can bond with the dragon, which made me rethink things. And more questions pop up, like, if any Valerian has the potential to bond with the dragon, why doesn't Corlys have one? 
You may explain this with your comments on how hard it is to bond. I understand that we can explain Lanor's bonding because of his mother is a Targaryen, but does it actually matter? So I I think the safest thing to say is that Targaryens firmly and honestly believe it matters. Does it right. actually matter <laughs> is something that we're going to find out. Okay. Right. Becerra says in this episode that the truth doesn't matter. It's the perception that matters. And that, that could be the case with a lot of things, right? So, so I want to quote from the Wiki of Ice and Fire because these are all source statements. And notice the things that they say with certainty and notice the things that they say without certainty. It says, dragons are intelligent creatures who can be trained to serve as battle mounts and understand vocal commands. They're said to be capricious in nature and had to be trained to keep from laying waste to everything around them. However, dragons will not allow just anyone to mount them. In Valeria, the noble-born dragon-riding families, the dragon lords, frequently married brother to sister to keep their bloodlines pure. It's generally believed that Valerian heritage plays a part. I then I'm going to censor part of this paragraph because it's massive Dance of Dragon spoilers. Right. Okay. Having Valerian blood, no matter how directly, is not an absolute guarantee that bonding with a dragon will be successful. So they also say that once a dragon is bonded with a dragon uh, rider, that dragon will not allow anyone else to mount it alone while its rider lives, no matter how familiar said person might be to the dragon. But when the dragon bonds to a, uh, but when the person bonded to the dragon is on the dragon's back, they may take along a passenger. When the rider of a dragon dies, that dragon can bond with a new rider. No rider has ever ridden a different dragon while their current dragon lived. Mm. Uh, however, when Prince Viserys Targaryen's dragon Balerion died, remember he swung his leg over the Black Dread, I think exactly once, and took it for a few wobbly passes around mm-hmm. the Blackwater Bay. According to George Martin, Viserys did not take a second dragon, leaving the possibility that the uh, rider might bond with a new dragon after his or her first dragon has died. Dragons who have had a rider once before are easier to bond with than wild dragons. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, what do we know? First of all, the Targaryens were not the only dragon lords of Valeria. In fact, they were a relatively minor house. Out of those thousand dragons that Viserys is talking about, um the Targaryen family took 10 over with them. So they had one one hundredth of the nuclear stockpile of old Valeria, give or take. And you would imagine that there were Lords in old Valeria, uh, who never tried, right? It was just never the part of the, like, if you were, if you were a family that was wealthy because of your ship trade, why would you need dragons? Right. You, you've got, you've got other people defending. It's a little bit like, I think it's like, uh, in the Revolutionary War, if you are a really wealthy guy, mm-hmm. did you need to have a general in your family? I mean, mm. a lot a lot of those families did want to have some war experience, right? But not every entrepreneur in early America decided, well, it looks like we're going to have to, you know, suit up, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that maybe the like Corlys Valerian's ancestors were maybe wealthy because of trade. They didn't need to send their children into battle. That that's yeah. my sense. That's my head cannon. Anyway. That's exactly right. And I also think that the dragon lords seem to be there pretty protective. Like they would be against the nuclear proliferation of their day. They wouldn't be handing mm-hmm. out eggs willy nilly. Um, <laughs> it would probably be a big step for a non dragon riding family yeah. to start riding dragons. In fact, and, and and you wonder if the dragon lords would even think that's possible. Um, so. 
they're they don't have to be they they don't have to be Targaryens, but the pro the thing is is now the Targaryens are the only last they're the last surviving dragon lords because all the other dragon lords yeah. died in old Valeria. Right. Um and like I said, Corlys is an interesting case because he's got children that are dragon riders, but mm-hmm. they get that from their mother's side. The real crucial well, question yeah, that's is, do all you the need? Perception. That's right. Exactly. Do a- you need? Or is this marketing material? Yes, right. So it is advantageous for the Targaryens to keep this, if it is mythology, to keep it alive. Yeah. Right? Because it keeps everyone else from trying to, to, to ride right. the dragon. Um, so, I mean, let's just imagine a scenario where someone else tried to ride a dragon and they died okay well how do we explain this Mm -hmm. do we explain it because well dragons are dragons and they might just dragon you up you know sure or you could explain like well you maybe you shouldn't be trying you're not targaryen maybe you shouldn't try to ride a dragon and as long as sort of those narratives are take hold i mean how many small folk or other you know great houses are even going to try to do this right Right. And it's not like the Targaryens have open tryouts for just like, hey, if you ever wanted to think you could swing <laughs> sure. a leg over a dragon, you know, plus all the fact that the the other thing is, it sounds like these dragons are all bespoke, like they won't take another rider as long as their rider lives. A rider won't take mm-hmm. another dragon as long as a dragon lives. You've got a limited inventory. Yeah. Do you know how long it takes to get season passes to open up and, you know, uh, <laughs> a green bay? Right. <laughs> There's a lot of Green Bay people. A lot of people in Wisconsin yeah. would love to have Packers seats, mm-hmm. but they got to wait a generation to get even a chance. Is that, you know, and can, right. can a New Yorker even sit in a Green Bay <laughs> stadium seat? I don't know. You'd have to fight the legions. Of, no, anyway. So it's like it's one of those things where it's like I yeah. it's, it's a, I, I think it's supposed to be an open question mm-hmm. that may or not be answered in this show about whether anyone besides Targaryen blood uh, can can mm-hmm. can throw their leg over a dragon. Um, right. Yeah. And if I, I was, let's say I was Viserys or I, I, I wanted to protect the mythology, let's say, uh, you know, someone else was able to ride a dragon. I, I mean, from my point of view, I would say, well, they must have Valerian blood somewhere in their lineage, right? Because right. I would want to keep the, the and, and mythology there's this, going. there's this concept of dragon seed they have, which are yeah. like, probably dragon uh, Targaryen or Valerian <laughs> bastards. And that's that's exactly right. You'd have like we, we talked about last week that you might have um, was this. I can't I can't I can't get my fantasies. I can't remember if I talked about this in the Rings of Power or Hot, or, or Hot D. But the idea that, you know, just like you might have a redhead, you might have all the way back to your parents are black hair, brown eyed people or brown hair, brown right. people. And then suddenly sure. a redhead. You know, and and you're like, oh my god, how did this happen? Was there some unfaithfulness here? And then you turns out great grandpa Seamus is in sure. the family tree, and he had right, flaming right, right. red hair. So like that's this they say seems like they're the uh, Valerians are out there, and they're having sex with a bunch of people. Who's to say? Yeah, you get some base born get out of the whorehouses of Essos that didn't have a sure. drop of that dragon seed in them. Mm-hmm. So it's I think you and now you'll you'll listen to some podcasts, you'll see some Reddit comments where people will will confidently say one way or another. And you know, I, I just think that like maybe they're trapped a little bit more comfortable and essentially trafficking spoilers than me. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just haven't read all the sources. I've seen it. It wouldn't be the first nerd that confidently states an opinion <laughs> sure. that hasn't fully uh, yeah. argued and justified it. But, I, you know, uh, I, I think we're just going to have to wait and see because there is things that hinge 
on the future story about right. whether that's true, obviously. Because yeah, when you're yeah, fighting yeah. a war, you're going to start running out of dragons. And to the extent that humans are squishier than dragons, probably going to start running out of dragon riders. So then what do you do? Yeah. And I think I think it's probably worth saying, like, you know, there's a reason to bring fantasy into a story. Or there's a reason to bring magic into a story. Magic allows the author to explain things that he doesn't want to explain. Right. Right. So, yeah. so a lot of this goofiness is magic. I mean, there's no doubt that this is a magical connection between writer and dragon and magic is fuzzy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Look right. no further than Melisandre. Right. So I, I want to hand the Maester's baton off to you by way of another email that was sent addressed to you addressed okay. to the Maester himself. It's Andy. He says, Namiria's story keeps Coming up on the show, last week you mentioned during the Maester's Corner that Anthony has a background in Second Temple Judaism and the Dead Sea Scrolls, so I thought, hey, why not? Nemiria as a Moses-style deliverer. Mm. While people talk about Nemiria as a Xenia-type warrior, I've often viewed her as the Moses of the Roinar. Her people face slavery and death under the yoke of the Valerian, so she gathers Mm. her people. They flee across the sea for a new homeland. They have many wanderings on their way, but eventually arrived at Dorne, and despite fighting and marrying the local Westerosi, even a millennium later, still maintained their Rhoynish customs. What say you, Maester Anthony? Does that map on well to your understanding? Yeah, I think I'm going to... The Stepstones think... or the... the uh, 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 what, what was the thing that the wil- the, the uh, Israelites wandered? The wilderness? The uh, yeah, the one. Yeah, sure. I feel like if, in order to make this work, you're going to have to ignore some major elements in Moses's story. But, Andy, what I think what I could say is in so much as we have sort of a a liberating guide who takes a long journey and settles, you know, if, if you bring salvation to uh, the liberators people and the fact that there are customs that sort of persist with the Dornish afterwards. Yeah, you could probably point to Moses. But here, let me give you a different idea on this. All right? So it doesn't map on perfectly. Moses is not a warrior. All right. So there you go. So you're going to need to bring in a few other characters. Um, like, for instance, like, what if we called Namiria a hybrid between Moses and Cortez? Right? Because because Nemiria has burns the ships, right? Yeah. That's sort of a, a a nod to Cortez, but then that doesn't quite work either. Because Cortez was a conqueror, and a, you know, span who you're talking to, he he's a colonist. That doesn't quite map on either. All right, so let me throw an, another name at you. Maybe you haven't heard. Uh, Aaron, do you remember a few years back? Uh, the the HBO series The Watchmen. Oh yeah, okay. And, and you might you you all might have even covered that show. We did. And people people could people could look it up and and listen to the show covered. There was a character on that show named Lady True. Do you remember her? Lady True. Yeah, she's sort of a Vietnamese superhero. Oh yes, 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 yes. Right, okay, right, right, right. Lady True. Her father is, is a massive spoiler. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so Lady True was named after a Vietnamese warrior from the third century. 
Oh, right. All right. So let me tell you about Lady True. She's Vietnamese. She's from the third century, and she helps her people against the against the invasion and oppression of Wu China. She is a warrior character. She rides an elephant into battle. Mm -hmm. And let me just give you a quote of something she says. She says, I'd like to ride storms, kill orcas in the open sea, and drive out the aggressors, conquer the country, undo the ties of serfdom, and never bend my back to be the concubine of whatever concubine of whatever man. All right, so this is interesting to me because that seems a little bit more in line with sort of the the legend of Nemiria. And so, okay, so let's say, Andy, let's say that there is some Moses DNA there. I would say, yes, Moses, but in order to create Nemiria, you almost needed to combine Moses, Cortez, and Lady True to get that mythology. And we know that, Mo- that, that Martin likes to create these kinds of hybrids. It's true. Cross-cultural. What could you also, um, the first thing I thought of is like, could we just splash a little Joshua? in there <laughs> sure yeah yeah right yeah that would work too so but moses that... died short of the promised land joshua yeah, yeah, yeah. was the general that kind of led the people to the promised land right and i think that the key here is is just to note that as with a lot of martin characters you'll find a historic or a legendary character to map some of his characters onto but he always spices them up yeah and honestly this lady true warrior figure sounds a lot more badass than moses yeah so so do some research She's killing on... orcas in open sea my god <laughs> my god yeah, do some research on uh vietnamese history andy uh it'll be it'll be fun it'll be fun all right what do you what do you have for us okay uh, now right. original I, research yes this <laughs> this is gonna be me kind of going I don't dabble in fan theories very often, and it could be that there's people all over Reddit are already on this. I I don't check. But let me just throw out a a brief reminder about why weirwoods are not in the South. Right. Right. So the weirwoods are originally thought to inhabit tree spirits, and they're worshipped by the children of the forest. And the Andals come along, or sorry, the first men come along and they adopt the religion, right? And they start doing what the children of the forest did. They would carve these trees. And the idea is the face in the tree would allow the tree spirit to check in on the the human beings. All right. So whether that is true or mythology, when the Andals came along, they didn't like the idea of being spied on by these northern gods, And so what they did was they cut down all the trees in the south. Now, there are a couple notable exceptions. Like in the Riverlands, we've got a few exceptions of Mm -hmm. we can find a few weirwood groves in the the south. But notably, there's no weirwood tree in King's Landing. Right. So not on the show, of course. In the show, they are swerving on the cannon and having a big old fat weirwood tree right there. But that mm -hmm. is... uh, non-book canon detail yes and that makes me curious why do it all right so i it makes me like mm, I, you know they have a lot of meetings outside you know they, they have a lot of important conversations by this weirwood tree this is true it makes me wonder 
Is there a reason why they made that choice? Is someone spying on these conversations? So, all right, I'll just put press the pause button there because it, it might it might be a, a you know way off book. But here's what we learn in the in Martin series with Brand's story. Brand goes up, he gets his Jedi training from the Three Eyed Crow, and the Three Eyed Crow teaches him that he can warg into birds. Sure. And he, he finds out that when he's in the bird, he feels an impression or an imprint of a previous warg. And the explanation given to him is, well, you know, some of these birds uh, have an impression of their previous, I guess we could call them writers or possessors. And my thought was, that's an interesting idea. I wonder if that's the origin of these weirwood gods. You know, maybe a warg decided they were going to take a second life right before they died their human form. They projected their spirit into these trees, and that's where you get the idea of of the weirwood gods. Now, that's my own head cannon. But mm-hmm. here's one thing that we know for sure. You can spy on people past and present. I don't know about the future, but you can spy on people past and present using this weirwood network. That's the whole reason it has a face on the trunk. Mm-hmm. Now, notably, in the book canon... There is a oak tree that looks a little bit like a weirwood tree, no face on the trunk. Right. So this this show has decided they're going to give us two eyeballs on this tree. It makes me wonder, is someone spying on these Targaryens? And I'll leave it as a question. Well, it's interesting because the showrunners have said throughout the season that they've intentionally framed and shot some things as if you are eavesdropping and they're showing things like, you know, Jim and I are always talking about the trademark Daemon Targaryen lattice work uh, spy (laughs) chamber on the King's Council. Alicent had her lattice work spy chamber in the King's bedroom. Um, And there's a couple of shots where this episode or I'd like Sir Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra are coupling where it's filmed Mm -hmm. from that perspective as if there is someone unseen. And I wonder a little voyeuristic, right? I wonder if there is some suggestion because you're you're right. There is a lot of stuff happening in the God's Wood. And we know that it's not like it's not like a live feed that if you miss it, it's gone because Brandon got Mm -hmm. to see a lot of his dad's history before right. he was around by looking through the Weirwood network. If the whatever the Weirwood see, you yeah, can yeah. fig if you're skilled enough, you can tap in and kind of like it's like a CCTV. Right. A, so I guess here's another system. way we could explain it. If we wanted to, if we were sort of a cynic to this theory, we could say this is the showrunner's idea of getting these people outside. Because otherwise these are just conversations in rooms most sure. of the time. Sure. Right? We need some way to get people outside there's got to be a beautiful garden for this castle and let's put a weirwood tree here because it will help connect people to the previous show that they loved. Mm -hmm. That could be all that there is to it, but that's boring and not fun. That's boring and not fun. And I just wonder, (laughs) there's a face on that tree. The whole reason that those eyeballs exist is to allow people to see through them Mm -hmm. and spy on people. And I and that makes me scratch my head. You this was a deliberate choice that they're making to add this when they didn't have to. And you wonder if like if this turns into a Targaryen anthology, like yeah. they said, like, you know, we move beyond the Dance of Dragons. That could be real handy uh, if you think of other other um, mm-hmm. pivotal points in Targaryen history. Uh, interesting stuff. 
All right. So that's all I got. It's 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 an idea. It's an I, want, I, will, if, I will frame it as a question. If they want more meditations of a maester this season, where do they find where where do they find you, Anthony? Yeah, uh, uh, search us out on Double Dragon. Um, most recently, we had a conversation with the linguist uh, David Peterson. He he helped he helped us translate some of the the dialogue. He didn't think that the the subtitles were quite captured. Really? Oh yeah. So you can come and hear that conversation with uh, with me and David Peterson over at Double Dragon. All right. Uh, thanks, Anthony. We'll see you next week. Thanks, man. All right. Uh, Again, thanks, Anthony, for coming on. Uh, The rest of the stuff is all dragons. It's all stuff about dragon lore. So let's get to it. There's still lots of hot D to talk about. We'll be back right after the break. And now back to hot D. Leslie says, I have a general question about the relationship between Targaryens and their dragons. And I wondered if there's anything in the lore that could provide insight. It's been mentioned several times that Viserys and his advisors see Damon as a potential liability and have made efforts to keep him away from the Red Keep by arranging family, making him commander of the City Watch, and then finally banishing him at the end of Episode 1. We see him fly away on Dragonstone on Caraxes. My question is, aren't the dragons a pretty significant weapon for the Targaryens, and doesn't one or more being away from King's Landing significantly weaken the Targaryen standing? Also, who do these dragons belong to? Do they belong to the crown, or does each dragon rider have their say over their own dragon? So much was made over Damon stealing the egg, but there was no mention of the fact that he took Caraxes with them. I understand the dragons are bonded to the riders, but you'd think the Targaryen rulers would want to make some effort to keep their biggest weapon out of the hands of those who might seek to do them harm. Jim, do you have any like hmm. gut feelings about how this plays out in the lore? Uh... I mean, none that are informed at all. Okay. Uh, I'm also curious about it, though. It's a good question. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that, like, you got to... So keep in mind, the because I talked about dragons in the Maester's Corner, and one of the things that they make clear is that a dragon is absolutely loyal to its rider, and the rider uh, is absolutely loyal to their dragon, at least during the terms of their own life. It's a question about whether a dragon rider can take another dragon if their primary dragon dies. It's also um, not a question, it's a resolved question that a dragon will accept another dragon rider once their dragon rider dies. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that gives them a lot of power. You think about like in the old Roman days, the generals had a lot of power because all of the army belongs to Rome, but the men kind of follow and listen at primary allegiance to the general, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be a problem. And I think that if you have a civil war, Regardless of the dragon's loyalty and whatnot, um, and regardless of the dragon rider's loyalty, when you have a civil war, all bets are off. Like there was a time in before 1860s where America was united and we had an uh, American army and American navy and American bases. And then uh, there is some there's a dispute about whether we should own people. And suddenly half of those American army and and, and, and navy and bases, uh, you know, just went off in the night, you know. So, like, I think that's you keep in mind that this tar- upcoming Targaryen conflict is a is a true civil war. It's going to divide the realm. It's going to divide House House Targaryen. Um, so, the question is, who's going to have the most dragons? Who's going to have the biggest, baddest dragons? And you can imagine the pol- politicking that would go on and trying to secure those allegiances before or after the fact. And you know, we are still in the stage setting for those those battles to come. So. Let me ask you this. Um, 
So I, I can see this a couple ways, but what happened with the crab feeder and Damon and his dragon? Does that is that a smart move by the showrunners to say, hey, dragons aren't the end all be all of weaponry in this world? A single dragon cannot obliterate an a entire army, regardless. Army, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or is that be. a mistake saying, because, you know, I, I mean, a single army or a single dragon rather took on all of King's Landing at the end of Game of Thrones. And I know people want to throw that out because it's the end of Game of Thrones, but we've seen it happen. Um, I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Them, them saying that like a dragon can't necessarily take an entire army and it won't just be dragons versus dragons. It could be, you know, ships versus dragons or yeah. <laughs> crown troops with, with trebuchets versus dragons uh, or in caves. I don't know. To me, that that seemed too new to the dragons a little prematurely. I mean, they definitely have the weak because like, you know, again, in this time period, Dorne has still not been conquered because it's a rugged mountainous terrain where the Fair. armies can come and attack they, they supply chains and hit and run and then when they come after them they just bleed into the mountains and go into their hidey holes in their caves you know and we see real mm-hmm. life examples like you know uh <laughs> united states air force is not to be fucked with mm-hmm. nor are the next three largest air forces in the world which are the u.s navy uh the <laughs> mm-hmm. the the uh yeah like uh, the 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 u.s yeah they we've 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 we got a lot of air power but like in afghanistan that didn't count for a lot in fact i think we just got kicked out of that country mm-hmm. so those are very much i mean it, it's the thing is problem when you call them nukes I sure. think what they are is they're the air superiority in a day yeah, that yeah. there is no other air superiority. So if you have a dragon, you got you're you just you're just fucked on the ground. All you can do is is take cover and do guerrilla wars, but that's not nothing. So mm-hmm. and when both sides have dragons, then it's it's a it's an interesting uh, situation there. Um, let's move on to Ashley, who says, while listening to your feedback episode for 103, you talked about Danny's dragon eggs potentially originating in the dance. However, in A Fire and Blood, George makes a point to mention that Alyssa Farman, a favorite of Reina Dragon Targaryen, Jesus, who is the first uh, daughter of Anus the first, <laughs> left anus to the S. First. Hell yeah. There's a second Anus? Uh, oh, there's so many Anuses. Mm. And it's a long Targaryen's long line of anuses. Let it let it be said. Uh, left to Essos with three stolen dragon eggs. They are sold to the Sea Lord of Bravos, and Jaehaerys threatened them with dragons if they hatched. We never find out what happens to them after this. And I believe it was George saying loudly, "These are Danny's eggs." Unfortunately, this happens in 54 AC, and we're currently around 106 AC, so we wouldn't get to see it. I don't think it's impossible to Hot D might put their own spin and change this, but. This is where I always assume Danny's eggs came from. Let me let me let me suggest a hot D spin. Lena Valerian is being married to the Sea Lord of Bravos. Maybe those three eggs come back into the into the story somehow. Hmm. All right. Might be interesting. Might be interesting. I don't know. Uh, Jared says I am strictly a show watcher, and a thought crossed my mind during episode three ending battle scene with Damon. Are the Targaryens able to control their dragons while in battle without actually riding them or at least use them in battle? I felt like Daenerys and Game of Thrones only rode Drogon and the other two were kind of each off on their own, but still were playing their part like she wanted. 
I wonder why Damon didn't use the red worm in that final battle along with sea smoke just to make sure everything went to plan. So then they make me think that maybe they have to be riding them in battle to use them. Is there anything covered with this in the books? What are the rules of using a dragon in battle? Boy, that's what's so cool about this is that we are going to learn a lot of those answers to that question, to those questions. Um, I would say that I don't think you can telepathically control a dragon. That was one of the big like what ifs with the whole brand and warging. Like what if mm-hmm. the three dragon riders are Danny, John and uh, brand remote viewing the dragon. Right. Yeah. Um, and why why doesn't Damon use it? It's like because I do think that the dragons are sensitive to their masters. I, I can't imagine a situation where. Caraxes is just kind of like high above watching his master go through this gauntlet and he doesn't come out and ruin the surprise. Right. Like he just wouldn't you wouldn't be able to control him just like Mm -hmm. this way. Drogon, no matter how you lashed him down or or tried to control him, would sit there and let Danny be. No, he's going to come there and fuck up anyone who's messing with his mom. Mm -hmm. So. That's why I think that happens. And I, but I do think that, like you mentioned, that Daenerys can have one dragon and she like and the other dragons are kind of like doing their part. Um, like, oh, there's Drogon breathing fire here. I'm going to breathe fire and we're fighting these guys. I'm going to fight these guys. But like probably less control. But the other thing to remember is like Danny wasn't just a dragon rider. Like she had she bonded to like all three of these dragons. That's um, pretty unique. And they saw her as her mother. Mm-hmm. So like they listen to her like almost like a hatching dragon would listen to its its uh, sire dragon. Although that's honestly canon, I'm just making up. I don't know that 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 they have dragons have those type of relationships. So like it it was a super special bond. I think uh, the the what I got. But the other thing is like I'm saying that, but we just haven't seen enough dragons and bondings and stuff like that to kind of like have a good gauge. So yeah. and it's no fun to just to, yeah. To it's a no, lot more dragon bondage in this show. Uh, let me also throw this out there we don't know how dragons communicate with each other also Um, yeah I'm I'm super interested to see if they have like a language whether it's you know a physical one uh, or a vocal one because you know Drogon could just be communicating with the other two dragons while Danny's feeding him right orders and he's relaying that to the other dragons right 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 yeah yeah, that's a that's a good point too because we you know we know that dragons can understand some Valerian and accept simple mm-hmm. commands like go to your hole and breathe fire and stuff like that. So they could be a lot smarter. Um, I think it's going to do it. Uh, hopefully that answered some of your dragon lore questions. We still had a lot more. A lot of people are curious about dragons, but a lot of my answers is just going to be you're going to have to wait and see because <laughs> again, we're coming from an era where no one knew anything about dragons to an era where like many people know a lot of thing about dragons and the 200 years, all that stuff got lost. So it's kind again, of exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It is exciting. And you know, like I could, the, 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 there's also a good chance that, uh, you know, they the, the these these accounts in the book are going to have multiple points of view and there's going to be lots of depends on how you look at it. So, like, I just don't like there are places out there that are giving definitive answers. But like at number one, I think a lot of those are spoilery. And number two, a lot of those are overly confident. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, hotty at baldmove.com. Do we miss something? Do you want to have uh, a, a, you got a unique take that you don't think is represented? Do you got some opinions on the upcoming episode? Hotty at baldmove.com is the place to send them in for this show. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate having you. Th- Sunday night, of course, we'll be having our after show. It's live. It's exclusive for club members. We do release half of it for everyone to enjoy. That's the instant take. But if you want the full access and be able to ask some of your questions live through the YouTube chat interface, uh, you want to be a supporter, support.baldmove.com. Uh, if you want to check that out, follow us along on Twitter, twitter.com slash baldmove. And again, finally, hot D at baldmove.com is how you send in feedback. Until Sunday night, I'm your host, Aaron. And Jim. See ya.